If you have your Bible, I hope you do. They're wonderful things to have. Uh, We will be in John 20 today. Near the end of John today. Uh, We are in a series... um, about encounters with Jesus, uh, how different people in the New Testament met and encountered Jesus did not always go great, right? Some people encountered Jesus and decided he needed to die, right? Some people met Jesus and their lives were changed. Some people left, met Jesus and left sad uh, because of what he said. Uh, interesting, but m- so many lives changed for eternity. Uh, and uh, so we're talking about these different things, these different people who met Jesus and l- learning what we can from them. One of the things that's interesting to me about Christianity um, is that it seems to, it does, uh, speak to different cultures. It speaks to different times, uh, uh, differently. If you're over here and need to be corrected, it, it pushes this way, and it will also push if you're over here uh, uh, this way. If you hold uh, too high a view of this one thing, the scripture seems to undo it. It speaks to rich and it speaks to poor. It speaks to uh, the powerful and to the weak. It speaks to all people at all times. It speaks to honor cultures and shame cultures. It, it speaks to all of these different things in different ways. It's amazing to me how corrective it is. And we don't always notice it until we're in a season, right? We're in a season and you go read a thing, you're like, oh, well, this is speaking to me here and now. It's fascinating. Uh, the Bible works that way. Uh, and uh, there's this story that, uh, man, this encounter that Jesus has with, with a guy that he knew um, that he's called the, the twin uh, in John 20. It's near the end of John's John's story to us, uh, and it's just absolutely fascinating to me. You know what, let's just, let's just read it. Um, I'm gonna start in verse 19. Jesus has been crucified. He was dead, he was buried, and he rose again. Uh, he appeared to Mary, Mag- Mary Magdalene uh, in this scene just before this, uh, and he says, hey, listen, he, he talks about, hey, I gotta go to the Father, I'm gonna, uh, the, the ascension is coming, and uh, Mary Magdalene goes and she announces to the disciples that I, I've seen Jesus risen from the dead, and this happens. Uh, on the evening of that day, so, so the same day, the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord and Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they're forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it's withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And he, but he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and I place my finger in the mark of the nails, and I place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus just came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Put out your hands and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is awesome. So there's so much going on here that we're not even gonna touch, right? Like the fact that Jesus breathed on them, which I get, that's weird, right? <sighs> like, no, nobody wants that. So it's just like, like it's the spirit, it calls back Genesis, like a new life, new thing, it's all, so much going on. We're not touching that today. Jesus popping in out of rooms, not gonna touch that today. Resurrected body, not, not bound by time and space, not touching that. So much good stuff. What is, what we do wanna talk about, what I do wanna deal with is his interaction with Thomas. And, and John, he just says at the end of this, like there's so many things that I could have written down, like so much stuff. Like I don't even think, there's no way we could have written it all down. There's not enough pen and paper in the world. Uh, but he wrote these things down, and he gives us his thesis statement, right? Like if, you, if, like, if you've been in seventh grade, right, or whatever, sixth grade, I don't know when they teach you this, but like, they're like, hey, like, you need a thesis statement. This is John's thesis statement for his book. I wrote all these things down. This is my purpose, so that you would believe. So John, Thomas's doubt sets up his thesis statement, I'm doing this so that you believe. That's what he wants. That's John's whole goal, is to get us to a place, and anybody who reads this, to believe, and Thomas is kind of the foil in this story. Uh, it's uh, a little bit unfortunate, right? Uh, I wonder a little bit if, like I wonder if like John gave him a heads up that, you know, that this book was gonna go out, right? Like I wonder if he's like, hey man, I said some things in here about you. And, uh, or maybe, you know, like he just heard about it from his friends. Like, hey man, have you read this book going around that your buddy John wrote? He's like, no, I haven't read it yet at all. Why, what's it say? Uh, and he read it, and he was like, oh my goodness, they're going to call me Doubting Thomas for like five, six years now. Um, probably had to be careful the rest of his life what he said, right? Everywhere he went, people were like, what's up, DT? And uh, like he would get a gift from Peter on Christmas, which is the thing they started celebrating. And uh, he'd open it up and be like, I don't know what they gave each other, sandals. And he's like, what? Sandals? I don't believe it. And like Peter was like, go ahead, touch it. Put your finger right in there. It's real. They're Birkenstocks. And uh, I, 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 it's unfortunate because Thomas, and this goes along with his personality, it's unfortunate that, we, that we, he's kind of known for this scene of doubting, not just in Christian circles, but like this just, don't be a doubting Thomas is just a, that's a part of the social imaginary uh, in America, even if people don't know the Bible. It's, it's unfortunate because there's also another scene that famously uh, includes Thomas. Uh, it's when Jesus says, like, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem, and all his disciples are like, uh, no, hard pass, I'm going to Jerusalem, Jesus. Uh, they're gonna kill us if we go to Jerusalem. And they're like trying to talk to Jesus how to go to Jerusalem, and Thomas says, hey man, if he's gonna go to Jerusalem, let's just go and die with him. He's like, why can't I be remembered for that? Like, brave Thomas. Um, but anyway, so this is what we have, but I think it's super important. It's really, really important. I also think that we, I think doubt is having a moment in our culture. That's what I meant by it speaks at different times. Like, we live in a world where doubt's almost celebrated, like questioning is almost celebrated. Um, and you have a bunch of examples, famous examples of people who were once prominent, well-known Christians, in the last few years, we've, we've called it deconstructing, is what the people are calling it, deconstructing their faith, um, or deconverting. Uh, famous examples, apparently there's uh, some YouTube people who I wouldn't know because I'm an old man, don't know such things, uh, but Rhett and somebody, whatever, they were like, 
Campus Crusade missionaries and uh, famously walked away from the faith and did a big thing that was like received and praised by, by atheists and, and by, by a lot of people that, that found similar experiences. Uh, Audrey Saad, we sing some of her songs, went through an almost identical process. Uh, Derek Webb was a famous, uh, if you were a little bit younger than me, Derek Webb had a huge impact on you in youth group growing up. Uh, he wrote all these amazing songs, uh, and he also has walked away from the faith and his, fam- his family. And it, it was embarrassing is that they're almost, they almost follow, all follow the exact same script. <laughs> like They're like, oh, I don't know if I believe this anymore. And I'm like, uh-oh, here it comes. And then, yeah, boom, 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 boom. It's almost like being famous is dangerous. Anyway, uh, so they've walked away from the faith, and these stories are compelling, just like conversion stories are compelling. If you see something in here that's valuable to you, you you latch onto it. So doubt is having this moment in these powerful stories. Also, post-COVID, it's a thing. Many, many people walking away from the faith. Uh, I think maybe loneliness hurt us. And uh, it's hard. Being separated from each other was difficult. Um, But what I love about it is that the Bible in no way shies away from these things. The Bible in no way is, that's one of the reasons that I believe the Bible is true is because it's just so right on, it's so dead on about the human experience. It's it's filled with doubt and hurt. (laughs) And the Bible doesn't hide from that. Uh, It's it's unbelievable. There's, there's, there's a passage in scripture that's, I just, like, I'm stunned that it's in here. I'm gonna read it to you. It's in, it's in Psalm 88. This is a psalm, a song of the people of God. Someone wrote this prayer and then walked down to the temple and said, put this on file, someone will need it one day. It says this. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. My soul It's full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one who's set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more for they're cut off from your hand. You've put me in the depths of the pit. In the regions dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy on me. You overwhelm me with your waves. You've caused my companions to shun me? You've made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I can't escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do Do the departed rise up and praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Are your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, I, Lord, I cry to you in the morning. My prayers come before you. Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadfulness assaults me, destroys me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me altogether. You've caused my beloved, my friend, to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And that's the end. There's no but, there's no hope, there's no upward turn. They wrote this down and said, we will go through these things. People we need to know they're not alone. The Bible 
Love doesn't shun doubt and wonder. It's not afraid. It's aware that it's part of the human experience. But how do we respond? Right? How do we deal with these things? First of all, let's, let, let's realize that it's a little bit understandable that people have doubts, right? I mean, I, I mean, we are a people of faith, right? We live in hope of a thing not yet fully revealed. Now, that doesn't mean, I want to be clear, uh, that, that there's no reason to believe these things. I, I think that Christianity is a very rational faith. Uh, I think it is, uh, is rational to believe it. This is not an apologetic. I'm not arguing with you. I'm not trying to convince you of, of the, the reality of it. But I do believe it's a very rational thing to believe, just as rational as anything else. I would argue more. Uh, but it, it's, just, it, it's very believable. I'm not suggesting that it's just blind faith. There's a thing that we believe, and we believe it for a reason. And, and I would love to have those conversations. But it is also a thing that because of what's happened, we look forward to a, fo- a, prom- a, a, a truth in the future. And in the meantime, very hard things happen. So in some sense, it's understandable that people would encounter doubt, that, that you and I would at some place in, encounter doubt. Um, and Thomas has that doubt, man. He is very, very practical. Thomas questioned, people come to him and go, we've seen Mary Magdalene told us about it. We saw him. We were all hanging out together, and he, I'm telling you, man, the door was locked because, you know, people were coming to get us, and he was just there. And Thomas's response would have been my response. I don't believe you guys. You guys were all getting high, and you imagined this. Or it was a ghost, or uh, what, listen, no way. And here's why Thomas thought that. Because dead people don't come back to life. It's a very reasonable thing. Like, can this be real? I tell you what, I'll believe it when I touch him. I saw them drive nails into his hands. I saw them stick a spear into his side and blood and water flow. I saw that. I'll believe when I touch it. Unbelievable. Very reasonable in my opinion. To have questions and to have doubts. It's been this way since the beginning. I mean, in Genesis, right? Genesis 3, the very beginning of the story of how we got here, what's going on, like everything, how it happened. God's created Adam and Eve. He's placed them in the garden. He's provided for them in all these ways. There's one rule. Do not eat of the fruit in the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent shows up and says, did God really say to you that don't eat any of the trees in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of any of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Don't even touch it or you'll die. And the serpent said to the woman, you'll not die. You're not gonna die. Woman saw the tree was good for food, delight to eat. The tree was to be desired to make one wise. So they took and they ate. Since the beginning, the temptation has been to doubt whether or not God is doing what is good for you. Hey man, like, look at it. It's it's beautiful. Why would God deny you what's pretty? God doesn't, doesn't God want you to have beautiful things? Surely God wouldn't deny you what's beautiful. Not only is it beautiful, it is to be nourished. It will fill your belly. Why would, surely God doesn't want me to not have a thing that's gonna fill me up, nourish me. Not only is it beautiful and nourishing, it's gonna make me wise. No way God doesn't want me to have that. That was a temptation, to believe that God doesn't want you to have good things. His rules are to deny you good things. And so doubt comes in whether or not God wants good things for us. It's one of the reasons that people begin to doubt. 
Another reason is uh, because we look around at the circumstances and we don't know how to process them. Um, My favorite example of this in scripture is in Exodus. So what's happened in Exodus, by the way, God has said he's gonna raise up people from Abraham. It's happened, there's this huge people. They're in Egypt, they're not where they're supposed to be, but then eventually they become slaves and God does this miraculous thing. He sends plagues and he's gonna drive them. He's gonna just take them out of Egypt, put them back where they're supposed to go. And he's sent this guy named Moses to lead his people back to the land that he's promised Abraham and Isaac that they would have. Unbelievable, he's done amazing things. Not only that, he splits the Red Sea in half. This giant sea splits it in half. They walk through on dry ground and God drowns the most powerful army on earth so that they can leave. Next scene, they've just seen this happen. Not months before, just a little bit before. And this happens. They don't have, any, there's food, right? There's wondering about food. Uh, and after they've, after they've left Egypt, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, You've brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. He just split the Red Sea, man. Like, and you're whining that you don't have enough, like, trust him. And I get so frustrated with him till I realize that's me too, right? God does this amazing thing and the next day I'm like, yeah, but this thing here, right? Like, well, I'm gonna complain about this now. We, people begin to doubt because they look at the circumstances in their lives and they say, how can this be? What, what, how can God fix this? And we begin to doubt and, and struggle because it doesn't seem real. In the parable of the sower, in Matthew, uh, God, Jesus actually teaches about why some people doubt. Uh, let me read this to you. Uh, and, and he says this, he says, I told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some of the seed fell on the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched since they had no root, withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil, produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. And then he explains it to them. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away what's been sown in his heart. That's what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and another 30. Sometimes we have doubts because of our hard hearts. Some people fall into doubt uh, because of the worries of the world. Tragedy strikes. I mean, tragedy comes into our life, and, and how do you not doubt? We, Wendy and I, when we uh, found out um, that uh, uh, our son wasn't, uh, was gonna, had a genetic condition uh, in, in the womb and wasn't going to make it, I remember my first thought when this tragedy struck. My first thought was, what else do I have to do for you? 
Later, I heard Wendy, overheard Wendy talking to somebody else, uh, and they said, do you ever wonder why you? And Wendy goes, what? No, why not me? She didn't go to seminary or nothing. She just loved Jesus. She didn't know how to read Greek or Hebrew. She's from Mississippi. I can barely understand her English. And, baby, I'm sorry. I was just making light. It was a heavy situation, and I had to, I was trying to make it light after that. Uh, yeah, like, tragedy strikes, and we, we question, at least I did, I do, why? One of the best things, uh, one of the reasons that I, I, I got to go to seminary and one of the gifts that it was for me was people just going like, yeah, dummy, we've thought about that already. Because like, I walk in with all these questions that I thought no one had ever asked before. I was like, I have questions about the atonement. And they're like, yeah, there's the library on atonement right there. Have fun, you know? And I was like, right, right, right. Uh, I also have questions about redemption. They're like, that library. And I was like, what about the problem of suffering and pain? Has anybody ever brought that up? They're like, yeah, for several thousand years, dummy. Like Job is like a whole book about that. Like, like there's a whole wing over there, a whole library of books about that. Like it was just like, I was like, oh my goodness, other people had these questions. And, and, and so to go and, 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 and think about tragedy and struggle, that it's part of the life that we're promised but it doesn't mean that God's not present and working. But it certainly brings people to doubt and struggle. But I would point out in those situations that um, there's no such thing as not believing. Saying I don't believe that this is the way that God does these things is not just not believing, it's choosing to believe that suffering and pain is meaningless and it doesn't, there's no really evil or wrong in the world. It's just how it is. Okay, I said it wasn't apologetic, but it's a thing. Another reason people fall away is love of the world, right? We just in love with sin, right? I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. I met someone who said that to me one time. It was stunning. I met with them to, to pastoral counseling. It was a thing, and, and I remember. I can remember being just speechless. She said, yeah, no, I know what I'm doing is wrong, and God doesn't approve, and I'm going to do it anyway. And I just, I was like, wow, that is the best answer you could have possibly given to get out of this early. I have no response for that. Like, I was like, but it's probably going to turn out bad. Yeah, I know there's going to be consequences. Yep. And I'm choosing my sin over obedience. And I went, oh, okay, well, I, well carry on. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll pray for you. Like, I didn't know what else to do, right? Like, just, th- that happens that we begin to fall in love and follow sin. We want sin over the things that God promises. We believe the lie that sin will give us immediately the thing that we long for most deeply that we'll find in Christ. And then, and then the other thing that he says here, the pe- pe- reason people would doubt, the reason that people fall away is we just fall in love with the world. Comfort and ease will steal from you. It steals faith from you. I think that is a thing that afflicts us particularly. Another reason that we fall into doubt is church hurt. People begin to doubt. Church hurt's real. People get deeply wounded in church. Um... Yeah, um, church leaders, when they fall, um, I just was stunned when, to find out the life that some of these leaders had loved, led, like uh, Ravi Zacharias has led, uh, was, a, was a leader that, that was a great teacher, but it just turns out that he just was abusing people. How do you do with that, right? It throws you into doubt. 
it's a week to bring it up. I don't know if you noticed or heard, but uh, there's a report, third-party report released about some of the things that have been happening uh, at the executive level of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, but it's not our, our convention, but it's, I love people that are a part of that. I grew up in, in the Southern Baptist Convention and can tell you many wonderful things. And to hear that abuse was covered up, that victims were silenced, ah, uh, it's just devastating to, for them. Uh, like, is it any wonder people have questions and doubt when leaders abuse power to not protect the weak among us like Jesus told us to and he does, but to instead silence them with your authority and hurt them further and cause additional deep wounds? What? Is it any wonder that people doubt? But what we do, our response, our response to that as a church, by the way, is that we, or as Christians, is that we lament and we grieve for those that have hurt and we fight for justice. We fight for what is right. And we uphold the widow. We uphold hold up the lonely. We hold up those that are wounded and hurt and we weep with those who weep. And we know that it's not what Jesus is like. Yeah, I know that there are deep hurts from the church, but and if you've been hurt by the church, I'm so sorry. Um, I hate that so much, but it's not what Jesus is like. It's not his heart. And we are imperfect, I know. But it's not what our Savior's like. And we are striving to be more and more like him. Uh, so here's what we do. Oh, you know what? I forgot this last one. Here, uh, drift. Some people begin to doubt because of drift. We just slowly begin to, something happens and we kind of like take a step away for a minute and the step away becomes two steps away and the next step, and then eventually you know it's, you've just kind of fallen out of uh, normal rhythms of worship and, and congregation and, and, and you find yourself like six months later like, well, you know, I have questions. And I'm like, yeah, no doubt. Like you stepped away for something. Like, of course you do. Like, yeah, like, yeah. And, and doubt begins to creep in. And here's, here's why that happens, by the way. Because you pick up new habits, Right? You pick up new habits that begin to shape you, new rhythms, new things that you listen to, new voices, and those things begin to shape you. They're, well, what they are is like spiritual disciplines, right? You drop one set of spiritual disciplines and pick up a secular set of spiritual disciplines. And that's the thing that now begins to shape you. And it begins to drift. So all of these things, like Thomas, all of these things that lead us to doubt, like what do we do? I, I first of all, like, Look at Jesus' response. Jesus' response isn't, how dare you? No. His isn't a rebuke. It is, look, now stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. It's a call, an invitation back. His heart is so gentle and his embrace is so beautiful of even those who have failed him, betrayed him, denied him, and doubted is beautiful. That's what Jesus is like. That is the heart of our God. 
to hold us up and to pick us up. I think the other thing that we do as a church is we need to be, uh, our, as people, as Christians, we, I think we should be a little bit empathetic. I think we understand a little bit. Um, I don't, I mean, don't we all have our own doubts? Right? I think there's two ways to doubt. There's one like, I doubt Christianity as a whole, as a worldview, but also at the same time, don't, don't we all have doubts? I do. I know that I do. Uh, I, I, on a daily basis, like, you, you want me, you can't really mean that you want me to love my enemies. Like, you want me to actively pursue their good? You want me to pray for their, the people that have hurt me and wounded me? You want me to do that? I doubt that you really want that. Surely my God wouldn't ask me to do that. You want me to actually give away a portion of my money? I have trouble believing you really would want that because I like my money. I can't believe that you would want me to be radically generous with my life. I can't re- I, I, you want me to actually seek the well-being of others ahead of my own? Daily, I doubt those things in all of my actions. <laughs> so I think we're, we're empathetic. We all in some way live with these questions about Jesus' lordship in our heart and our life, and we have to constantly be submitting to these things. So we, we do that. Uh, and then we, and, and under this subpoint here, I have 82 points, but 79 of them are prey. Like pray, 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 pray. When someone begins to fall away and they begin to doubt, what do we do? We fall on our knees and we, we pray for them. Because here's the reality. You can't save yourself. What makes you think you're going to be able to save them? Like I can't hold myself. I'm grateful Christ hold me. So we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray without ceasing. God, please heal. Please bring them back. God, place things in their way that draw them back to you. Work in their heart in a miraculous way. Draw them back. Put things in their path that constantly point to you. Make the thing that they're choosing over you, let it fail them so that they fall so they can feel you pick them up and hold them again. Pray, 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 pray for those that have walked away. Weep in your prayers for them that God would restore them and bring them back. Also, another thing that we need to do after the 87 prayers is um, guard our own faith. We are not immune. Better men than me have walked away from the faith and it's broken my heart. So we, we guard our own faith. Uh, we obey. That's one of the best ways to guard your own faith is just to obey. Uh, in this great little book that he wrote uh, called um, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis, uh, which, is, which is really weird because uh, it's written from the perspective of demons, which is a bizarre thing to do. Uh, but he writes from one demon writing to a younger demon, an older demon giving counsel to a younger demon. And there's one scene when he writes this. He's writing to the younger one. He said, do not be deceived, Wormwood. That's the younger demon. Our cause to cause Christians to stumble and fall away. Our cause is never in more danger when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. That is one of the best ways we can guard our faith when we seem lost, when we seem like things aren't going to get up and obey anyway, it guards our faith and we will find Christ there. Don't miss uh, when, people's, uh, when, when God's people gather together. I mean, maybe this story goes different if Thomas had been there the first time, right? Like, where was he? I don't know, maybe he had something important to do. I don't know, 
Maybe he was at the lake. I don't know. Like, we don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's gone fishing. Like, we, we don't know. That's what Peter did. So we don't know where he was, but he wasn't there. And so the doubt rises up. Look, don't, don't miss gathering together with God's people. A community is a powerful guard against unbelief. The author of Hebrews wrote this in 3.13. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need each other to fight the hardening of the heart that is caused by sin. Amazing. I also think we should need to watch and listen. Watch what we listen to, watch what we give attention to, what we give our affection to. It changes your soul. Another thing we have to do is we need to, we need to look at his works. We need to guard our own faith. Look at what he has done. We did the 10-year thing, uh, BCC's 10-year-old, uh, not too long ago, and it was such an encouragement to my faith to hear the stories of what God has done, to recount the things that he's done, and just pay attention to the things he does every single day. Uh, it was Augustine, I believe, that wrote, as uh, African bishop wrote, uh, that Jesus did on a scale small enough for us to understand the things that God does every single day. When he fed a few 5,000 with a few fishes and a few loaves, God does that every single day through the miracle of procreation. Every day he feeds thousands. When Jesus turned water into wine, he was just doing something that God does every single day. When, when the rain falls and the vine draws up water and grows the fruit and the fruit, the miracle of fermentation produces wine, like every day God turns water into wine. Every day he heals people that are broken and hurting. Every day God does these things. Do not miss them. Look at his work. Be in scripture, believe it. I know Matthew Matthew McConaughey has a podcast, but it is better to read scripture. I know it's easier to listen to the podcast, but it's better to involve yourself deep in what God has said. It's more certain. And then also hope. God's not finished. You hope that God does a work in that person's life when they walk away. You pray and you pray without ceasing because God is not done with any of us. And then go to work. God also uses communities in a powerful way to bring people back. Uh, Don't neglect gathering together. It's not an extra. We do this together. And usually we see people's commitment to the community drop before they begin to drift away. So we have to, and I think we get uncomfortable, right? I think we get really uncomfortable when people start asking questions that we don't know the answers to or doing things that make us weird. Like all of a sudden we're like, uh, Karen's doing weird things and saying weird things. We don't know what to do. And so we just get very comfortable. We don't know what to do with our hands. And so we just kind of back away because we're afraid of, you know, I don't know what, but we just don't know what to do. Uh, here, no, press in. I think maybe we feel guilt, we uh, feel inadequate. No, press in. When people walk away from the faith, continue to pursue them. That doesn't mean you have the same kind of fellowship with them, but that means that you are a person in their life that they know loves them and can be trusted. I mean, look at this. Thomas wasn't there the first week. He said this thing. He's like, hey guys, I don't believe any of you. You're all idiots. I don't believe any of you. But then the next week they're hanging out and he was there. They dragged him with him. He was there in the room. Do not stop inviting people to come and see. Do not stop being a presence in their life. Do not stop, no matter what they say or do, loving them well. That is what these people are doing. That is what we're called to do. Pursue them. Be a safe place. Another thing we do, though, is we do not celebrate it. I mean, the goal of all this is faith. We don't celebrate like, oh, that's great that you have questions. Like, yeah, go pursue all those questions all you want. And if you want us, we'll be right here. No, we don't celebrate it. 
we understand it, we're a safe place to ask the right kind of questions, honest questions. But we do not celebrate it. We long for us all to grow in faith. All of this is headed this way. I also just, you know, look, I, I, I'm grateful for Thomas, right? There's this amazing verse at the end. It says, Jesus says, so you believe because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me if you believe. He's like, you've seen, like, so here's what happened. Thomas has doubts. Jesus shows up, says, jam your hand on my side. And Thomas does, and he makes the most amazing confession. He says, you are my Lord and my God. Unbelievable confession of faith. And we can have faith. We know that Thomas touched him. We know that Thomas was there. We know these things, and we can have faith because of their testimony, because of what they have seen, because of what they saw. And Jesus says that we're blessed in a special way. He asked the question, did this really happen? And it matters. Like, it matters whether or not the resurrection really happened. This guy named, uh, uh, he's a, a, a Yale professor. Uh, he, uh, Yaroslav uh, Pelican said, if the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, then nothing else really matters. If the resurrection of Jesus did not actually happen, nothing else matters. Like, this is it. This is the rise and fall. This is the thing that we have hope in. He had a question. An apostle had a question. And we get great blessing because he did. Look, believe. Have faith. I want you to hear the words of Christ and have faith. But if you have honest questions, ask them here. Ask them. I would... We ask them among the people of faith. Ask the questions that you have. I have questions and I wrestle with them. But here's what I know. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And every time I struggle and every time in my life that I've struggled, I I kind of wrestle with the faith and I wrestle with what it means and I wrestle with all these questions. And then I go, yeah, but the problem is I really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now what do I do? If he rose from the dead, it means something. What he said is true. He can be trusted. So it always brings me back. Ask your questions, good faith questions. Not the questions that I get asked sometimes. Some people uh, will, you know, I get a text every now and then from somebody that's like, hey, I just had a question that I just thought of. And then they ask like a 3,000 year old question. Like, hey, how can God be good and there be bad things that happen in the world and and be all powerful? I'm like, yeah, that's called theodicy. That's not a good faith question, right? Like I can tell you're just trying to, like, I'm gonna ask the first pastor I meet this question um, and stump him. Uh, yeah, it's a hard thing to wrestle with, but uh, there's an entire library of books that have been written on it. But if you have good faith questions, like I don't know, help me with my faith, this is a place, we must be a place that says, yeah, ask those questions. I don't know all the answers. Let's pursue them together. This is what community does. We constantly point each other to Christ because for fear that our hearts will be hardened when we go out on our own and sin begins to corrupt us. So we are a safe place to ask honest questions because Christ accepts us and his mercy is never, ever, ever end. His mercies continue every single day and it's so much greater that he picks us up in our doubts, in our failures, in our betrayals, he meets us new every day. This is such good news. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God who's not afraid of questions. You're not a God limited by my understanding. 
You are a great God full of mercy and grace and wonder and truth. May we be a place uh, that pursues those who hurt, that pursues those who have doubts for legitimate reasons and gives them a place to ask those questions. You're not afraid of our questions. You're not afraid and you hang on to us. You cling to us. God, preserve us. Give us a love of your church where we may be built up, when we may be encouraged, when we may be strengthened, when we may see the greatness of Christ, the beauty of Christ, and be overwhelmed by your goodness. We are so deeply grateful and so deeply in awe of what you have done for us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.